Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. I'm a student of nature-led gardening, nature-led gardening, and a person who loves the song uh, Pure Imagination, and that's featured in the Willy Wonka movie, and the Willy Wonka movie is going to be released this weekend. So, If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world, there's nothing to it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. Um, but, you know, the food system needs a lot of changing right now, and the food system seems very, very daunting. And in the second half of the program, we're going to be talking with Austin Frederick. He's the author of a soon-to-be-released book, Barons, Money, Power, and the Corruption, The Corruption of America's Food System. But if we simply look around and view it, anything you want to do, you can do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. And and so this is what's happening this weekend in Minneapolis. Um, people are creating the food system that our heart knows is possible and knows uh, we deserve and our children deserve. So to talk about this event is the um, is the uh, is is the Minnesota Farmers Markets Association Engagement and Inclusion Director Cena WP. Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. So tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're at right now. Absolutely. So just like you said, I'm with Minnesota Farmers Market Association. Our organization supports and advocates the 375 farmers markets in our state of Minnesota. Uh, but we do a lot of work for um uh, for the nation as well. Uh, so we have a huge farmer's market mapping uh, partnership with the um, USDA to make sure that everybody has a clear idea of where their local food comes from and how we can support our farmer's markets and also farmer's market food hubs too. So, um, yes. So um, well, let's go. So there's an event happening on uh, Saturday, December 16th. So talk to us about that event. Yeah, uh, just like a quick overview of the event. It's this Saturday, December 16th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. We're calling it the North Loop Winter Market. It's at the 501 Royalston Building. It's a giant empty warehouse that's adjacent to the Minneapolis Farmer's Market on Lindale. So if you can, if you can picture, you know, during the height of vegetable season, the Minneapolis Farmer's Market, but inside a giant warehouse in December, that's what we're aiming for. <laughs> right. And, and this is the first ever? This is the first ever. So prior to this role, actually in January, will be one year with Minnesota Farmers Market Association. Uh, prior to that, for three years, I was the market manager and director of programs uh, for the Central Minnesota Vegetable Growers Association that operated the Minneapolis Farmers Market. So my life was one city block, about 100 farmers and entrepreneurs that I worked with. And now doing this work, there's over 10,000 vendors. There's 375 markets across the state. And this idea came about because while being in the space of Minneapolis, you know, I was realizing that, like you said, this food system isn't working for everyone. And there's so much more that we can do. And so... You know, for the past year, I've been just telling everybody my dream of how we can really share this 
full story of what our local food system looks like and some of the resources that we need to create in order to create this food system that works. Um, and this building used to actually be occupied by Target Corporation. So they use this as their, it's 200,000 square feet building that used to be Target's um, photo studio. Now it's empty and the owner was like, hey, I'm, I support local food. I believe in local farming. It's empty right now. If you want to throw an event, Cena, throw a, a market this winter. And I said, say less. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and so now, now on December 16th, you know, we have a vendor village of over 100 vendors. Uh, these are local farmers. Um, and then there's about 50 uh, other tables that include sponsors and partnerships. And all these organizations are champions of local food and community, health and wellness, um, our world, our planet. Uh, so it's really just a, a gathering of people and community. And I hope that, you know, in Minnesota, it's wintertime and we like to stay inside and we don't really like to be out and about. But I'm hoping that this can be our missing connection year after year how we can get our community, our food community together here in the winter. And you have some free parking? <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah. sorry, I got like, really? I mean, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so this building has, you know, over 200 parking spots available in the gated lot. We have two parking lot attendants that normally help out at the Minneapolis Farmers Market um, that will just be helping out with making sure everybody's cars can get into the lot correctly. And there's street parking, just like you're going to the Minneapolis Farmers Market is what we intend. So instead of free parking under the bridge, it's free parking in this lot, if that makes sense. And then um, right when you walk into the space, there's going to be 10 Christmas trees that we bought from our Christmas tree farmers at the market. Each tree is going to represent the nine different regions of the market, plus farmer's market food hubs. There's going to be picture ornaments on there and a gift basket where people can actually get a free raffle ticket when they enter and win one of these baskets full of goodies from our vendor village. Think, think like prepared food. So we have vendors that are sourcing ingredients from farmers and creating food that you can buy at the market. There's cottage food vendors. So like pickles and hot sauces and baked goods. And then also like anything that you need for the holidays this is your last chance to shop with local entrepreneurs. Um, but I know there's a lot going on out there when it comes to markets, but this is the only one that's supporting in our local farming community. And of course it's free to attend. Just like farmers markets, yep, it's free to attend. If you're a little baby or one of our elders, like this is for the whole family. Um, entertainment activities, you know, do the same thing that you would normally do when you go to a farmers market. So grab your reusable shopping bag, grab some cash, make sure that you speak to at every vendor selling product at this market or has a story to tell. Like connect and learn where your food comes from. Learn how your products are made. This is this is about community. So we don't want everybody. We want everybody to acknowledge one another and just just be. Yeah. Just, well, and I, I love that just be. And I um yeah. And, and it is it is uh it's about uh um living in the economic. It's about a different economics than we have right now, right? Yeah. It's kind of a funner, more just, and uh, um, yeah. an ownership society. Absolutely. And, and, you know, what's going to wrap the vendor village 
so that you do all your holiday shopping, you you live your life as normal. But it, it, this is an education space too. So we have a an exhibit from Mill City that we're borrowing, and it's called Letters of Gratitude. It's where the children in in the early 1900s in the First World World, the children of Belgium actually wrote thank you letters to children in Minnesota because they fed them during during the First World War. So we're going to be educating and sharing stories of all these food stories and really telling the complete story, like talking about emerging farmers and how they need space and markets because they're the backbone of our local food system. You know, I come from the Minneapolis farmers market that has, you know, the board president at the time had was the fifth generation farmer. We need to create new farmers in our space and have marketplace for them. And so this market is not only just for a great day, but it's much more. The, the bigger picture is really, really just to help set up this local food system that can thrive and be the circular system. Because um, we have to think about like food, our farmers market food hubs, for example, we have doctors that are prescribing healthy, nutritious food as medicine. We need to create programs for that, you know. So there's just so much more than a farmer's market as a marketplace. It's, it's a connection, an anchor, a security for local food. So this is, this is what we're doing. Yeah, this is how we're sharing that story. And it, it's really a powerful action because you talk about uh, of medicine, uh, food as medicine. And um, mm-hmm. I, I went on an eight-day cleanse where I was avoiding, made, you know, 100% avoiding all industrial foods, all, you know, cane sugars and glutens and those types of things. Wow. And, and it's so, I mean, it was yeah. wonderful and it felt good and I wasn't hungry. Um, and I was a great learning experience. So I'm sure I'll talk about it more in another show. But um, but the other thing that I came away from that is, you know, after being exposed um, to that is – how most of the food that's sold in the grocery stores and the gas stations, you know, there's they're sold by, and I, I think we'll get more of this in the second half of the show. Um, the corruption of the American food system. I mean, it's you know, it, you know, health and vitality is fundamental to life, and to have a food mm-hmm. system that's fundamental to health and vitality, and yet, so the process of owning that and supporting each other in community is, you know, what the times are calling for. Yeah. And, you know, like I think about my story as well. Um, you know, I, I'm a ref- family, a refugee family. And at one, our family is great right now. You know, we're comfortable middle class. But at one point we needed to get, you know, our foot planted in this country. And there was times when I'd go to school and they recognized me as a person that needed assistance when it came to food. And I'd come home with a box of food for my family. Like, hey, the school gave this to us to feed us. We opened it up and it was things that we would never, ever eat. We're like, what is this powdered milk? What is this? You know, we're Cambodian. And so when we're thinking about, you know, food that's culturally relevant, that's grown locally, that's fresh and feeding people what they need, that's healthy and nutritious. Like we have, we have to create programs for our community that is reflective of them. Um, whether they're buying or if they're receiving assistance. And so that's that's the work that we're trying to do here. That's beautiful. And um, so uh, the event, again, um, uh, uh, what is the mission of the event? Yeah, so this is this event is really a fundraiser to promote the programming of Minnesota Farmers Market Association. None of the vendors in the vendor village paid a stall fee. They, they're coming in and we're nurturing them. We're creating space for them to thrive, to start. So 
But for me, also the one of the pillars is education. So we tra- we train farmers markets. We train vendors to have cottage food license, for example. And so I'm really wanting to create a space for our farmers market industry to be in a safe space to try something new. So let's say you're a farmer and you want a value-added product on, on your table. You're not ready for the market yet. This is a great testing ground for you, right? Um, you're a new, you're a new farmers market business. This is a new, this is a safe place for you to figure out what your system is because we're entrepreneurs. Farmers are entrepreneurs, you know. We How need farmers. We need entrepreneurs. Yes. And like, so this is a space for them to learn how to continue to tell their story, their pitch. How, where did your food food come from? Because when we're indulged in just really thinking about, you know, one thing, which is how do I grow these carrots in the wintertime or or microgreens or what have you, you, you forget that growing it is hard itself, but you also have to sell it. Well, who do I talk to? Like we have all these organizations like the Food Group and the Good Acre, which are food hubs. You know, I'm hoping that some of our farmers and, and entrepreneurs can talk talk to them, get resources on how to, how else can I sell my product? How else can I expand my business? How else can I get healthy, nutritious food out into the community? How do I get a EBT reader so that I can get more income from my farm? So beyond just like a really great day with community, it's it's a learning experience for everybody. Okay, so we're going to be taking a break soon, but we're talking about the event that's happening uh, Saturday, um, uh, this Saturday, um, and it's from 10 to uh, 4, uh, Saturday, December 16th in in Minneapolis, um, right by the uh, Minneapolis Farmer's Market, has 200 free parking spots, um, vendors, information, it's free, no reservations required, you just show up when you want. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with Sina uh, WP with the uh, Minnesota um, Farmer's Market Association. Seward Co-op is now offering convenient self-serve and pre-packaged hot options and salad bars at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Breakfast items available daily until 11 a.m. and brunch served all day every Sunday. Their weekly lunch and dinner menus highlight cuisines from around the world. They offer vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options daily. 95% of the ingredients used are organic from small-scale, local community food producers whenever possible. More at Seward.coop. She Kindness. Sustainability. Health. Equity. All mixed with a little kindness. Makes a better world now and tomorrow. Weekly tip. Save all your garbage for a day. According to the EPA, we generate 4.9 pounds of waste a day. Grab a bag and consider different ways at the end of the day you could be doing it to lessen your personal ways. Here's a weekly inspiration. Minneapolis activist Robin Greenfield woke up to the destruction caused by the industrial food system and decided to grow and forage 100% of his food. He wrote about it in a book. Weekly action. Speak up for animals suffering on factory farms. The world's 92 billion land animals slaughtered for food annually contributes one-third of human-caused climate-polluting methane emissions. While methane is 80 times more potent than carbon, the good news is that it's short-lived and only stays in the atmosphere for 12 years. To learn more about SheKindness, go to the Alliance for Sustainability, AFORS.org. If you want to view Paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it, want to change the world. 
There's nothing to it. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline, and we're talking about an event happening Saturday, December 16th in Minneapolis uh, from 10 to 4. It's free, some parking, um, and it's the first an- first annual, so first time, but they're hoping to have it annual. Um, and with us to talk about this event is uh, Sina, WP, from the Minnesota Farmers Market Association. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. With Living there. So, yeah, what do you think of this uh, music in the background? Because I mean, I well, this event is so cool, but I think underneath it is this, uh, and, and this time right now. I mean, um, it, it's a real place of hope, and people mm-hmm. are are, are yeah. doing the hard work, and it's really hard work. So I don't want to um, minimize that in all this joy that we feel in this hard work, yeah. but it's a lot yeah. of hard work, and it is so vital. Yes, you know. What I like about this is that we have this exhibit from Mill City. It's called Letters of Gratitude. And one of the say, saying is that this, if you, this is a great example of what organized kindness can do for a community. And that's what the North Loop Winter Market is all about. Um, so we're really just coming together. I mean, we can say it over and over again, support local, support local. Um, but this is really more than just um having products on the shelf and going to a register and gifting to a family or family member. We're here to really uplift, connect and be with one another and just really understand like how important it is for us to get out there in the world and be with one another. Cause you know, when, when I first started in the farmer's market industry during the pandemic, the farmer's market was like one of the only places where you could be with people. You know, of course, we had to be six feet apart and so forth, but it was one of the only places where people could actually be together and connect and support local farmers. And so as we, and it, it has always been that way. You know, with the start in, in Minnesota in 1876, this is where the Lunds and Byleys of the world all started. This is where <laughs> everybody had to connect with one another to get food. You know, so that's the work that we do is really just restore that connection of where your food comes from. Mm-hmm. And so this um, uh, North Loop Winter Market's in an indoor, indoor building that was used by Target, but is currently empty. And, yeah, and, which is great. This is the first time that that space will actually be open to community, ooh, if you think about it, too. Ooh, mm-hmm. that's the first time to see that open space. And a hundred different vendors, and they're not paying to be part of this. They No, they're, they're not paying a dime to, to be there. Um, so we're really relying on our community to come out and the sponsorships are really key on this. We wouldn't be able to do this without our sponsors. Like we have the emerging farmers office with Minnesota department of agriculture, all the big major food hubs, like the food group, um, renewing the countryside, um, the good acre, uh, we have the DNR, um, cause this is, we're talking, food isn't just food. We have to talk about who's taking care of our land. You know, in Minnesota, we have huge egg, you know, big egg, which is cow, soybean, big, big pig, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but the, our local food farmers are the ones that are doing the best job of taking care of our land. And so how do we protect that? How do we give them resources when there's a drought, you know, it's simple let's even talk about these christmas trees like i check in with my christmas tree farmers all year we just think about them in the winter time but even during the drought they're out there having to water their trees to make sure that they're ready for us in, in the winter 
So there's just so much more than just what's on our plate. This whole entire community needs to be protected and supported. And we're celebrating that on December 16th. When you come, there's going to be 10 different gift gift baskets. We're giving one free raffle, but we're asking if people want to have a suggested donation to MFMA to come and do that. MFMA.org slash give. So we're really just asking folks to give to support local food through Minnesota Farmers Market Association because we also do a lot of policy work. So we were just uh, with um, Senator Murphy during National Farmers Market Week celebrated that we were able to help get $1 million for the matching market bucks program. Think about that. That's $1 million that's going directly to our farmers. The money is circulating from our our community directly to our food farmers. That's huge. You know, so there's just so much work that we need to do. We need more funding from, you know, our community, from the capital. And um, we need to keep everything local, too. And so that's that's our mission behind all of this. And so, I can talk about it for days, Laura. Yeah, I know, I know. We've got about three minutes left. But I want to make sure people can get your website and just know a little bit in general about yeah. the Minnesota Farmers Association because you are a statewide organization. We are. Yes, we are. We're statewide. Uh, we connect um, every single month with national or state leaders from across the United States. So Minnesota is a huge hub for local food and agriculture. We're leaders in it as well. Um, and a lot of times, uh, Minnesota Farmers Market Association, when, we, when there has to do anything with agriculture in the state, we're the only ones sometimes talking and advocating for local food farmers. And why is that? I mean, we'll probably talk more about that. I'm going to get deeper. Yeah. But do you have a quick answer? I mean, honestly, because we're we're community. We're not multi We're not soybeans that's going over to China. We are feeding our community, and we're we're small, but we're we're mighty. Because the food that we're feeding our community is huge. Like the Minneapolis farmers market is a three million dollar market. You know, that's that's the what's happening into the in that direct community. But what you see is over a hundred different farmers. So collectively our local food farmers, they're small, you know, but they're also they to collectively they're a big impact on our community. That's so cool. And so but we don't have big dollars or lobbyists or things. Or or guards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have like we have organizations and community members to help us get what we need at the state capital, and we're not there yet. You know, like we're the next uh, uh, budgeting uh, session. We're asking for ten million dollars for our local farmers markets, so that they can get what they need to continue to provide options for healthy, nutritious food. With whether it comes from farmers market food hubs. Or, you know, they need staffing or they need infrastructure. You know, the sheds at the Minneapolis Farmers Market, I, I, would, I didn't know how special they were until, until I started going across the state and seeing what other farmers markets really needed, you know. So, yeah, there's just so much work that needs to be done for our local food system. So the um, the event is this Saturday from 10 o'clock to 4 o'clock. It's um, adjacent to the Minneapolis Farmer's Market, um, 100 vendors, a lot of community partners, and art is food ex- ex- exhibition. Um, is there anything I'm missing? 
Yeah, Minnesota Grown is also a sponsor. The first 500 is going to get a, a free door prize. Ooh, first 500? Okay, I'm changing. I was going to go yeah. at one, but I'll change it. How, what time do you have to line up? Is that like three in the morning? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to encourage it. If you want to line up, line up. But <laughs> um, I, I really am telling people to spend like the entire day there from 10 to 4. You won't be disappointed. There's going to be so much to do, so many people to talk to, support, and meet. It's going to be a great day. Is there some music yeah. or entertainment? Absolutely. Yeah, there's going to be music. There's going to be activities. And, yeah, it's going to be. And, there's, you know, I'm going to tell you one more thing. Uh-huh. Uh, beyond all that, uh, all of the vendors and people who are within the farmer's market community. So if you're a market operator, if you're a vendor, what have you, and you're not one of our if you're not even at the North Loop Winter Market selling, we have a section that isn't for the general public. It's just it's called the wellness area. And it's donated uh, by Vital Grounds Farms. And it's really a full of resources so that people can think about their mental health, their physical health while they're farming, while they're being entrepreneurs. Um, and so I'm so excited. There's a whole huge section that's just dedicated for our industry and thinking about our health and wellness as well, too. Well, so. health and wellness is connected to the food. I mean, that's yeah. one thing that's so clear. You, you you get off any industrial food, and it's like you feel so much better and really mm-hmm. making that and and. and and, and grasping that on a on a uh, mm-hmm. body level, it's so cool. Well, Sina uh, WP, the Minnesota Farmers Market Association, uh, enjoyed you uh, joining us today to talk about the North Loop um, first ever North Loop Winter Market in the yeah. in the building that has not been uh, you haven't been able to walk in it. So this is one of your first times to see this new yeah. not new but um, uh, this building. So tell us again about the building. Yeah, so 501 Royalston is on the corner of Ulta Memorial Highway and then the street that meets the Minneapolis Farmer's Market, which is called Border. Um, and that building, um, the, the family who owns the building uh, since the early 2000s uh, has been advocates for the Minneapolis Farmer's Market. So they sat on the Friends of the Minneapolis Farmer's Market board. Um, and so they really want to support community in that way. And that's their way of doing this. We would not be able to do this without having um, the Selman family donate the space for us to do this in. Uh, but really what I would like is to turn this building into a huge food hub that we can, you know, use it as an aggregation place. We can use it as a place like we, there's commu- there's a, the new USDA Urban Egg Office that we helped just launch. They picked like 13 different cities across the United States. Minneapolis St. Paul is one of them and we want to be I want to create a space that can be a resource for everybody so between the people within our industry what I see the North Loop Winter Market as is an open house for this bigger dream on how we can fix our, our local food system but on that day it's going to be a big old party big old party <laughs> this Saturday um, so this show may this replay Saturday. on Sunday so sorry if you missed it but um, but I thank yeah. you so much Sina uh, WP uh, for joining us on Food Freedom Radio and uh, uh, if you want paradise just look around and view it anything you want to do do it want to change the world there's nothing to it so uh, you've been listening to Food Freedom Radio I'm Laura Hedlund we'll be right back with um, Austin Frederick is running over 
Seward Co-op is now offering convenient self-serve and pre-packaged hot options and salad bars at both the Franklin and Friendship stores. Breakfast items available daily until 11 a.m. and brunch served all day every Sunday. Their weekly lunch and dinner menus highlight cuisines from around the world. They offer vegan, vegetarian, and gluten-free options daily. 95% of the ingredients used are organic from small-scale, local community food producers whenever possible. More at Seward.coop. There is no life I know to compare with pure imagination. Living there, you'll be free. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of nature-led gardening and a person who's looking forward to the new Wonka movie. Now, I haven't seen it, so I don't want too much of high um, expectations. But uh, but I am I am I I love that song, um, Pure Imagination, and and I love this. Um, if you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do, do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. And that is such a sort of a, a daunting phrase, especially when we understand what's happening with the world. Um, and so with us to explain what's happening with our food system is Austin Frederick. He's the um, author of a book that's going to be released in March called Barons, Money, Power, and the Corruption Corruption of American's Food System. You got your book there. So welcome to Food Freedom mm-hmm. Radio, Austin. Thank you for having me on, Laura. As we mentioned earlier, um, you're the first person I've talked to for the book as I start the rollout process. So I'm really excited today. Awesome. I'm excited, too, because uh, I know we had a great conversation earlier. But let's let's start start with um, your background in Iowa and what, five mm-hmm. or seven generations you can trace back. Yeah, that was one of my COVID projects is my husband and I did one of those family tree things. Uh-huh. So like I'm ve- I, so I'm from the northeast part, like Decorah. Cedar Rapids kind of part of town, um, of the state, sorry. And I don't know, it's really fun, but also, I mean, so much of my IO background shaped this book. And I say that in that, I gotta be careful with this language, but Iowa broke in my lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. You'd see animals when you drive in Iowa, You especially in the Northeast part, when we go up to visit family, go up there for vacations and they're gone. Dairy cows used to be tons of dairy. There used to be a lot of dairy production. It's all gone. Mm-hmm. Hogs are gone. The only animals you'll see is maybe some cattle, and that's quickly dying. And then with the rise of robotics, most corn and soy will be robotics. Um, and with that kind of collapse of that family farm and what happened to Iowa, you just see the collapse of the middle. You see the rise of extremism. You see the anger. And part of this book is what happened. Um, but also, what do we do from here? That That is kind of my goal of this book is to diagnose the problem, have a very honest conversation where we are. To the point now where one man does five million hogs in Iowa, one hog farmer, one hog baron in Iowa has his own private jet. Um, oh, the farmer with the private jet. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, he he's the largest local donor in Iowa. I mean, he writes a six figure check to the governor, has a home down in Naples. That first year of COVID logged over 200 uh, flights on his private jet. And we were all at home. I mean, my big point in this book is the system we have now is radical. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about, like what you're like, the vision, of what we are trying to do is traditional. It, we've gone so far off the deep edge here. Like my favorite little tidbit is Driscoll's doesn't Driscoll's is my berry baron. Mm-hmm. Driscoll's sells one in three berries globally. Ooh. Wow. They don't grow a single berry. <laughs> no. <laughs> they, contract, they own the IP. They contracted out like sharecroppers. 
So that way, the contract grower has every incentive to exploit the labor environmental protect, you know, standards. So you're seeing the movement of berry production offshore where you can have 12 year olds pick it and Driscoll's goes, oh, we didn't know that. That's also like a. Oh, I'll stop. No, no, no. I didn't want to stop. But I I mean, it is it is actually a side because, you know, you see that name and and the way the human animal works is things that are familiar. I think we we expect to trust. And that might even be, you know, part of the our coding. Right. You're familiar with something you trust. And that's probably one reason why brands carry weight is because you can trust things that you know them better. And so you see a name that's so common, but you don't really know what the real story is behind it. And, and because of that, right now, our structures and systems evaluate and prize IP <laughs> rather than um, the soil quality and the, the people who are touching it and the taste of the food and, and the justice and the joy that's living in, in the food systems. That is, even the word taste, that to me is something I realized right in this book is we've, this model is really doesn't care about taste. I mean, you have a backyard strawberry versus a strawberry grown in Chile. I mean, that's the story of the system is it's like this race to the bottom. And, we're you know, we're doing injustices. We're exploiting labor. We're destroying the environment. And taste is gone. My favorite little thing when I was uh, writing the dairy chapter was doing milk tastings. Mm-hmm. I had people drink my dairy baron's milk, um, <laughs> normal industrial milk, and pasture milk. And it was just the funniest thing to see. Like, this is all 2%, but the taste levels is way different. And inputs do matter. Yeah, inputs do matter. And so, um, you know, we didn't mention that much. You've got an academic background. You're at Yale right now, and you did the policy work for for, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So you want to talk a little bit about your professional background? Yeah. So um, I'm a first-generation college student. I went to Grinnell College down the road from where I grew up, went to Madison, uh, started working at the Library of Congress uh, Treasury. I kind of got involved a few years ago in this new antitrust movement. I know a lot of people talk about big tech, but to me, I think big ag is everything. Um, And so that's kind of where I've really focused on is that intersection of monopolies in the food system. And honestly, what kind of really got this book going, I'm working on this book for five years now. And what really got it going was a bar conversation in Des Moines, where I heard that this hog baron had a private jet. I was like, (laughs) that's good copy. (laughs) Because it's like, how do I tell people what happened to Iowa? You got to have a story. You got to have a compelling narrative that hooks people. And it was at that moment because, like, my brain's like, I, "Here's thesis, evidence, evidence." But you need emotion. You need narrative. And so, what's been really fun about this book was, it's almost like thinking of like teaching a kid to eat their vegetables. I'm teaching you educational lessons, but I'm hiding it in narrative. <laughs> so, like, my whole point of the Driscoll chapter, the Berry Baron, is the offshoring of the produce system in America, the trade agreements, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of boring and really dry, so, but I'm, I'm, I kind of hit it in this like compelling story. And it's actually quite important, though. And I know um, I was talking to someone because I, I, I shared I did a cleanse and they're like, oh, I'm doing a berry smoothie. And like, I can't afford berry smoothies. They're very expensive. And it's like, you know, mine are free because 20 years ago we planted these berries and now, you know, I pick them. <laughs> And it just kind of works, right? You know, I mean, it's not even now that complicated. Raspberries spread very fast, by the way. But, but so, but, but to hear that there's, you know, a berry baron out there that controls one third of the, of the berries in the United States. That's why is it? Why is that not? Or I don't want to say why is that bad. What are the consequences of having a, a few people control the food system? 
um, to me, the, the biggest consequences are what it means for one in 10 Americans that work in the food system. Um, you know, if everyone, cause we always kind of focus on the farmer, but there's also the person that picks it, processes it, transports it, cooks it, serves it. When you engage in this concentration of the power, it's, you kind of destroy the collectiveness. You destroy those wages, get suppressed, workers get abused. I mean, the fact that it, it's not even that shocking that meatpackers exploit 13 year olds at this point. Um, this administration can't seem to do anything. The meat industry is more concentrated. Um, that's where we are. Um, I mean, Iowa has the best soil in the world, yet it's one of the most obese states. You can't get local produce at most diners. Um, it should be Italy, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then the environmental consequences of the um, barren-directed I mean, food system. I, I, the waterways in Iowa are an open sewer, and I understand that that's a really aggressive language. But when you have... Oh, man, I think it's like 20, 25 million hogs now in Iowa. I mean, those things defecate three times more than us. That's the manure of Texas and California combined. And uh, there's not that much regulation in Iowa. It's an open secret that, like in Iowa, if you build an industrial facility at 2,499, it's right under threshold, so it's way less regulation. Well, everyone knows they put three or 4,000 hogs on there, but the governor has gutted that agency. And so you just have rampant manure, rampant, no one checking on it. And so, I mean, I opened that chapter with a story of, you know, just a working class, small town Iowa woman who can't afford to go to the, you know, Florida, like my hog baron, but, you know, her vacation is kayaking in her local lake and she can't do it now. Even kayaking gives her a rash because the pollution, the manure pollution is so bad. Hmm. And so um, this book, um, what is the current title and when is it coming out again? Your book? The current title is Barons, Money, Power, and the Corruption of America's Food Industry. It comes out this March. Um, this is, and I also was very fortunate where uh, my everyone has that book when you're young, that like that first adult book you read that shapes you. Uh-huh. And mine was Fast Food Nation. Mm-hmm. And so Eric, who wrote Fast Food Nation, actually wrote my forward, um, kind of served as my mentor. And I like to kind of think of my book continuing on that kind of tradition of looking at something we do every day with kind of a corporate power, you know, framework to it. And I love that you chose the word barons. So tell us a little bit about what that word means. I mean, isn't, you know, what does barons mean and, and a little history of the word? Yeah, I'm obsessed with this word. This whole, <laughs> I love imagery in these words where I just keep thinking we're living in another gilded age. And there's, I just think back to high school, there's that cartoon of, you know, those, Famous political cartoons from 100 years ago, those big fat robber barons controlling the Senate. I just feel like we're in that moment again. Um, when I say barons, that's what I mean. I'm trying to hearken back to the two men. I mean, let's not be honest, mostly men who have so much power that they control an industry. Um, I'm hearkening back to that, but it's almost kind of campy in a way that, like, we have a Barry Baron. Like, that just sounds funny. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I. I joked to my husband, like, there's a whole B-side of Barons we could have done that we didn't. You know, like, there, there's a potato. So a Minnesota farmer told me about the potato Barons. Like, there, there's a lot of, but that's the norm now in, in the food system, our Barons. Yeah, that is the norm. And so let's talk about local company Cargill. Would you consider yeah, them a so Baron? Cargill's, Cargill's my green Baron. And to be honest with you, they were not in the original plan for this book. I really wanted to write about the farm bill. And I was struggling to figure out, you know, how do I tell this story? But Cargill is this weird company where 
it was everywhere growing up. It was next to my soccer field. It was next to, I'm from Cedar Rapids, next to my church, next to my, it's kind of, it's kind of everywhere. But you don't really know what it is. And I was just kind of dabbling in it. And there's only been one book written on Cargill. They personally have commissioned their own personal history by an Ivy League professor over three books at 1,500 pages, one of the driest things I had to read. But they are bigger than the Koch brothers. They are the single largest private company in America. So I framed the, the Farm Bill chapter around them. And my whole point there is the Farm Bill tried to, back when it was first created during the New Deal, was it was trying to establish balance. You know, farmers want to grow, but you got you can only, you got to figure, you can only grow so much because then you can overproduce. You push the land too hard. There, there is like, there's a, a balance there because we saw what happened with the Dust Bowl. We pushed our land too far. But once you push your land too far, you know, what are you going to do when you're almost going to lose your land? You're going to plant more and you, you keep flooding the market. So we created this system of checks and balances in the New Deal. But then what you see, people like Cargill don't like that. Cargill is all about owning the middle. They, they actually started actually right near where my family used to live in uh, northeast Iowa. And then they moved to the Twin Cities. But all they are, they, they basically, from the second it's harvested till when it's on the grocery store, that's what they're, they're trying to control. So slowly, Cargill built up this apparatus where they control the movement of grain, of processed commodities in America. And I use that story to tell the bigger story of what happened to the Farm Bill, where now the American Farm Bill is designed to overproduce grains. Um, it's all about making it grow as much corn and soy as you can because it wants to put in industrial thermal feed and ethanol. And it, what it does is it crowds out any animal on pasture. It crowds out any produce, all that kind of stuff. And I, for a while, I kind of I kind of compared Cargill to like Standard Oil because Standard Oil was all about owning the middle from, you know, because uh, growing the crops the riskiest part. It doesn't want to do risky. It wants it from the second, you know, oil comes out the ground to when it's you buy it. That's what Standard Oil does. And that's what Cargill tried to, tries to do too. But I almost think the more I kept writing about them is, oh, they're not Standard Oil. They're, they're like um, the Dutch East Indian Company. You know what I mean? Like they're like an old colonial empire because the sun never sets in the Cargill empire. I mean, there's, uh, they're still in Ukraine <laughs> or sorry, Russia. Because, you know, Cargill is one of those things where we don't know who they are because they own the middle. You don't see cargo on your shelf. So uh, the you use the word corruption in your title. Why do you why why that's kind of a pretty strong word? But why would you use that yeah. word? I really it is ingrained in me that concentrated economic power leads to political corruption. That is something like Louis Brandeis is kind of one of my heroes. I talk about him um, during the, my coffee baron. Uh, turns out Panera has a dark Nazi past, but that's a different conversation. But um, so Brandeis was this justice from a century ago that um, President Wilson appointed. His whole thing was you don't want concentrated economic power. You want to diffuse power. You want laboratories of democracy because concentrated anything is bad. And throughout every baron, especially with my slaughter baron, the, the meat company, JBS, you, they don't have a brand on the American shelf, but they own a bunch of brands you probably know of. They're the largest meat company in America. They straight up got their empire through corruption, bribing politicians. They bribed over 2,000 Brazilian politicians, including the president. And then they also cut, they were also responsible for cutting down the rainforest in the Amazon to put beef there, which um, we're all living in a, in a very fragile planet that's on the edge. And there are 
and and that's one of the reasons it's on the edge is that we have a food system that's not focused on taste or vitality or soil health or justice or joy, but it's yeah. based on this this barren. And so JPS, of course, uh, there was also problems during COVID that came, you know, to light. And that's the thing too is we know what to do here. Like this isn't rocket science. We dealt with the meat industry a century ago. It's it's this corruption. It's this political power that stops us from doing common sense things. I mean, that is to me is the most, that, that, that's the thing that bothers me the most because there's also so many people doing really good things out there. I mean, you walk into these different conferences, Marble Seed, what have you. I mean, even your previous guest is we can unleash what I love this phrase uh, Alice Waters has called delicious revolution. If we just tackle the concentrated power of these few greedy men, they're holding us back. And that is my hope is like this because it's so cartoonish. I actually think it's a really good galvanizing bipartisan thing because it just feels morally wrong that one man controls five million hogs. Well, and the one thing I've been thinking about is this whole idea of how, you know, fear and division kind of works in the favor of um, concentration of wealth. And the counter to it, the remedy is um, is, is love. And um, um, I don't know if I want to say acceptance, but it's something broader than that. And I'm looking at the clock because yeah. we're down to our last minute. And again, we can talk a lot longer. But what else would you uh, like to say in these last uh, the last minute, minute of the show? Um, well, just for your listeners out there, I'd really appreciate folks could pre-order the book. That's really this. My, I'm a first-time author, so that's really huge for just getting the word out. Um, I like to joke we kind of live in the day and age. It's like the movie industry. You know, there's the Marvel books, and I'm like a the indie press, you know, not indie press, but uh, art house theater. So any attention you guys can give, I'd really appreciate it, pre-orders. And honestly, um, to your listeners out there, I'd love to hear what your what barons you find the most interesting. Yeah, I always love, like, each baron hits people differently. I have old money barons, like the Cargill family, I have trashy new money. Uh, I love grocery, but I just find grocery the grocery industry so interesting. So yeah, I would love to hear what folks think. So uh, um, Austin Frederick, he's the author of Barons, Money, Power, and the Corruption of the American Food System. He's also a fellow at Thurman Arnold's project at University, uh, at Yale University. So I thank you so much, Austin, for joining us. And uh, I also encourage people again to check out the North Loop Winter Market, uh, December 16th, Saturday, from 10 to 4. Uh, first time event. It's free. There's even some parking. 200 spots. So get get there early. Um, you listen to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, Progressive Voice of Minnesota. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you.